Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families, centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, here on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. This is Craig and my co-host Mari. Hello, hello. Today we're talking to an author that wrote a book about the... uh, Sixth Station of the Cross Mm -hmm. and the Wounded Face of Jesus. And before we go into it, Mari, what are the stations in case some of our listeners don't know? Yeah, so we thought it would be helpful because what you're going to hear in a few minutes when we talk to this author is almost at like a Theology 500 level. Now, don't turn off your radio or turn off your podcast right now because it's really fascinating what you hear. But the book she wrote was about a devotion called the Holy Face Devotion, and it's about the Holy Face of the Wounded Jesus and how that links to the Stations of the Cross is in the Catholic Church, we have got Stations of the Cross that during Lent is when we walk that same path to Calvary that Jesus walked. So each station is a a memory of what happened from his sentencing to his time in front of Pilate to him being crowned with thorns to him carrying his cross. He's carrying his cross through the city of Jerusalem. And when he gets to what we call the sixth station, he's been spit on, he's been beaten, he's got blood all over his face. And a woman, Veronica, takes her veil and she wipes his face out of compassion and love for him. And so this book is called that because this devotion is about that wounded face of Jesus. Which is imprinted on that veil. Yes, yes. And is in St. Peter's, correct? Yes, it is. Yes. And then we talk about uh, number two, a devotion. Mm-hmm. In a devotion, really, if you if you know the devotion to the Sacred Heart or even devotion to the Divine Mercy, it's really a commitment on our part. You venerate an image. You have specific prayers you say on a regular basis, and just keep offering those prayers to God for something specific. And in this case, it's you know really like Veronica. Lord, we know you've been injured and you've been spit on. Mm-hmm. Your your face has been beaten and bruised, which his face, according to the book, is the church. Mm-hmm. And Lord, we feel really badly about that. So we want to recognize those injuries and we want to say prayers and ask your forgiveness for those injuries. Is that right? Yeah. So that's up? what this one's going to be about. And what's interesting about devotions, some devotions came from the traditions of different religious orders. Some devotions came from what we call personal revelation, where God appeared to someone and gave them and said, pray this prayer. And actually they wrote down what he said to pray and they wrote down or had paintings painted of what he revealed to them. And that's what's so cool about this one. This young nun in a convent in the middle of France in the early 1800s heard from Jesus over a period of time and received this devotion. Why don't we pray before we introduce our guest? Perfect. All right. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we continue to live in this world in this time that you've put us here in your holy will we're here for a reason and we pray lord that you will open our hearts to see the truth of what's going on around us and truly see how it impacts you and how there have been so many slanders and blasphemies against you and how we can help make reparation for that and how we can uh, join ourselves to christ's suffering and use our suffering in conjunction with his to bring about reparation for the sins, for sinners, for our own sins, and that we can make a holy advancement toward uh, bringing your love and your forgiveness and your justice into this world and your mercy. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name through his passion and cross and with Our Lady who stood at the foot of the cross. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you. You did a beautiful job. Oh, well, thank you. I'll tell, I'll thank tell, you. I'll tell, tell John. John. Don't tell John. <laughs> oh, so as Craig said, we do have the blessing of having a guest here today who has written a book called Unveiling the Sixth, I can't even say that, Sixth, sixth, <laughs> sixth Station of the Cross and Reparation to the Holy Face, Mother of All Devotions. And we'll have that on our show notes and how to get the book as well. But Mary Jane Zuzalo is our guest. She is actually the great, great, great niece of a nun named Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, who was a French Carmelite in the 19th century. And she received an approved revelation from Christ to initiate the Holy Face devotion. And until we got this book, I had never heard of the Holy Face devotion. Honestly, nor have I. Yeah. So it's very neat to learn something new. I mean, I think in our faith, we are so blessed that we have so many ways to... um to link ourselves to God and to to pray to him and to show our devotion to him. So this is another, this is one. So the Holy Face Devotion. Um, Mary Jane graduated summa cum laude with high distinction in philosophy um, from the University of Illinois. And she also contributed to the forward for Father Lawrence Carney's um, book, The Secret of the Holy Face. And she was the keynote speaker for the very first conference on the Holy Face. And she's published numerous articles and her work has been discussed in another number of places. Um, and what's really important to us here in the family room is that um, she's a, a mom, a wife and a mom, and she actually is a whole homeschooling mom, um, um, and she has five children. So welcome to Into the Family Room, Mary Jane. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you, Mari and Craig. I really appreciate the invitation. Of course. Uh, interestingly, as we were talking before the show, I just wanted to note that I know there's different devotions and different things parallel to Christ's face, but... As we're recording this, this happens to be Shrove Tuesday, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is tied to an image of the face of Christ. So God must really have something for you to reveal during this interview that he would tie the two dates together. Even though there are some distinctions, it's still all about looking upon the face of Christ. I think so. I think there are no coincidences when it comes to these things. And I feel very honored to be speaking with you today on the Feast of the Holy Face. Wonderful. Now, before we dive in, I mean, this book has got such a depth of information and um, poignant facts that we need to we need to talk about. But before we do that, we always have an interest on in how your faith journey came about. So, do you mind sharing your faith journey with us? Sure. My faith journey is sort of coming full circle with this devotion. You know, I was blessed to be uh, brought up in a very devout, loving home. And uh, yet, I did not realize how pervasive uh, some of the more liberal modernist thought was, even in our home parish. We, we were just in a small parish in kind of south-central Illinois, and, uh, you know, I, I think that there, there was a lot of liberal thought going on there, and, I, you know, you don't even realize, I guess— uh, if you're if you're just surrounded by it so much, and uh, I, as you mentioned, I did attend the University of Illinois, and I had I had started in math there, and and then I realized that you know I there was kind of deeper deeper thoughts about God going on, and I had wished to study theology, but I was on a scholarship there and uh, felt that I needed to stay there, and so I I did uh, pursue philosophy. And I didn't realize that 
uh, that department. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, great professors there, and yet it, it was uh, very, very liberal-leaning, very into the modernist thought. Uh, uh, Nietzsche, for example, Friedrich Nietzsche was really big there. And, hmm. uh, you know, just I kind of didn't dawn on me uh, that this this didn't have to be. I just uh, kind of took it all in, and and yet it didn't feel right. And and I also felt I didn't quite have the tools to know how to argue against it. Um, I did. I did try my best, and uh, you know, kind of struggled with with the whole thing. Uh, and it, it did lead me to question my faith a lot. And I, I remember at one point, uh, my my grandfather had had a stroke, and and he just kind of kept repeatedly making the sign of the cross, and I thought, wow, you know, that's so that's so embedded in him, and it's it's like uh, it's still there even with the stroke, and that that really moved me and uh, began me on the journey to uh, embrace my faith at a at a kind of a deeper level and kind of to rise above some of the uh, the, the the muddiness of of philosophizing about it, I guess. And uh, so time went on, and I was blessed to be in good parishes, which really uh, seemed to be orthodox and, and traditional and, uh, you know, did gain a deeper faith. And growing up, I always knew uh, about my great, great, great aunt, Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, um, and knew the basic facts about her. But it really wasn't until my grandfather passed away and we were going through some of his items that we found more written materials on the devotion. Because, again, this was during a time before the Internet and during a time when, um, you know, devotions were really uh, played down and and discouraged even uh, and so my mother was not encouraged at all to pursue further knowledge about it and uh, so you know we we just sort of fell in line with that and uh, when we discovered more written materials some uh, one of her original biographies um, like a first edition uh, a lot of the material was in French so we couldn't read that. But uh, I, my husband actually did trace down a copy um, of that original biography, which at the time was really hard to find. And again, uh, this was before the Internet. And so this, this set both my husband and I on uh, a deeper faith journey with the Holy Face devotion. And for years, you know, we just sort of were so perplexed. Why, why don't more people know about this? And it gradually seemed to become more and more relevant in our minds. And, um, and so finally, you know, I, I was reading to my, my sons, my daughter was already at college, uh, about the devotion. And, you know, they had some questions as teenagers do. And it led me to really delve more deeply into uh, the research. And I, uh, I, I realized, you know, this, this devotion needs to be brought to light. And now, thankfully, in the last couple of years, I would say that uh, it's it's really a lot more prevalent on the internet. And you know, Father Carney has written his book, and and mine will be out on March nineteenth. Uh, but I guess to bring it full circle is that the one of the the big uh, I guess offenses against God that we are called to make reparation for in this devotion are you know current 
crimes, so to speak, against the first three commandments, you know, rights of God. And modernism is, they are featured <laughs> very prominently as something we should make reparation for. It's so tied with communism, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, just those those lonely days uh, in, in uh, my philosophy classes there at U of I, it's just kind of all makes sense. And actually, I feel like it makes me able to argue more for the devotion because I kind of know uh, what the other side might be thinking and can anticipate sure. their arguments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's so fascinating how God allows us to go through so many different things, right? So this is so much more meaningful for you because of what you experienced as a student in the university. And I love how your aunt, many, many years, because I believe she passed away in 1840, so many, many years after her passing, she was influencing your faith life. She was influencing your faith journey and then ultimately influencing, as you just said, the faith journey of your husband as well. And then your kids, because they were asking you questions, which we were going to ask, you know, what led you to write the book? And you started to get into that, 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 you know, your kids were asking questions and you realized more people need to know about it. Um, But tell us more about that. Not only what led you to write the book, but also the book is called Unveiling the Sixth Station of the Cross, the S-I-X-T-H, Sixth (laughs) Station of the Cross. Can you kind of take us back down to more of an elementary level on describing some of this and what this is all about? Sure. So, uh, you know, as far as how I came to write about the book, uh, I, I would say there's kind of two phases. The the one was, as I mentioned, I began to realize how more and more relevant it is for our times. And one of the main reasons is that a main thrust in the devotion is that it is a means to defeat communism. This is something that Christ calls out by name. And, you know, in the last two or three years especially, I think we see elements of communism uh, sort of seeping into our our schools, our government, um, you know, just uh, even even certain uh, certain aspects of our faith, I would say. And uh, so th- this is making the devotion very relevant in a lot of people's minds. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's very tied with modernism. And the reason is that um, communism and modernism really share um, – share a lot in common in terms of their anti-God ideology. You know, they're not just uh, falling into godlessness or uh, ungodliness because of sin and weakness, but their their ideologies are truly, uh, from the get-go, anti-God. I know, um, I think Marx had uh, a, a quote where he said that communism begins from the outset with atheism, and uh, Lenin had something similar where he said that, you know, communism abolishes eternal truths, all religion and morality. And uh, maybe maybe I could kind of walk through a little bit of the history of, of modernism and communism in terms of their history to, to show how this, you know, progressed or evolved or I don't know if those are the right words, maybe digressed. But, uh, you know, back with the Enlightenment, um, man was beginning to reject more and more the absolute authority of God relating to truth and morality, uh, you know, really 
deciding that he could use his own rational thought, his own reason to uh, decide these things. And, you know, really that amounted to his ability to argue certain points. And then this kind of opened the door for modernism, which holds that truth is subjective. And, you know, it's, it's even perceived through personal feelings and therefore it's kind of fluid. And, and then that open the door for the moral relativism that we see today in which, you know, there's really no one absolute truth. Each individual is deciding for themselves what they believe are truths. And, you know, even wokeism, I guess, would take that a step further. And, um, you know, I think in some sense there, there is not as much truth and morality in that ideology. And so, you know, I think you can start to get an idea of, how pertinent this devotion is because it it is to make um, reparation for these offenses in which you know man is essentially uh, claiming with Friedrich Nietzsche that you know God is dead he's he's rejecting the um, the authority of God to the point that he is just inventing his own uh, truths and morality he's He's, um, as, as Christ said, uh, the, the big sin in our time is deep-rooted impiety and absolute incredulity. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's either, man is either doubting or rejecting God's morality to the point of inventing his own, to the point of, in essence, making himself his own God, you know, with a small g. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so um, I, I think that we have seen this kind of um, acting out in, in the Old Testament uh, and, and obviously throughout the ages. Uh, you know, I know in Old Testament, the Israelites kind of time and time again would would start to fall into blasphemy and irreverence. And, and uh, there, there's, you know, in so many of the scripture passages, especially the Psalms, that expression that God would turn his face from them or you know, remove his blessing from them, or in other words, just allow um, kind of the the natural consequences of their actions to come forth. And uh, Father Carney mentioned in his book that that often took the form of of their religion being taken away. And I think in many ways we can see this in our own time. Um, and so, anyway, yeah, yeah. For for some of these reasons, it it does seem like a very relevant devotion. And I should say devotions, by the way, um, you know, they they are forms of popular piety outside the liturgy, but they they lead back to the liturgy and, and have the liturgy as their origin as well. So, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a popular forms of devotion. We have the Sacred Heart devotion, the, the Immaculate Heart, which includes the rosary and and things like this. Um, okay, and, and so then I guess the other the other half of why I wrote the book is that the more I delved into it, I realized you know this now that we have kind of the hindsight perspective of Saint Therese of Lisieux, which maybe I can get into that later, and um, you know other saints like uh, Saint uh, Louis de Montfort and the uh, kind of the, the spirituality of the Carmelites. I realized, 
you know, this is a deep spirituality. And I think that that is something that has not been discussed as much. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because St. Therese of Lisieux, she had a dream in which St. Anne, who was um, a really good friend of both Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, appeared to her in the dream and, and assured her that her spirituality was very much in line with the Carmelite order. And uh, Sister St. Pierre, uh, Sister Marie de St. Pierre, uh, she she had a vision of Teresa of Avila, who was the great reformer of the Carmelite order. And uh, Teresa of Avila said that the Holy Face devotion would be the honor of Carmel. And I think that, you know, for one, this is really impressive, um, given that now we have about three doctors in the Carmelite order and numerous saints. Uh, but I, I think that that's maybe another clue that, you know, this this is a spirituality because the whole Carmelite order is very much in line with it, uh, wanting to selflessly seek out God and as kind of an overflow of that is the active uh, care of other souls. And, and so uh, I, I just I just felt more and more the need to kind of bring this to light. And uh, it, it just, it's, uh, it's very beautiful. And again, I think it, if people like uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, they're really going to like this devotion too, because they are so complimentary. There's a lot packed in there. Um, so we are here in the family room with Mary Jane Zuzlo, and she has written a book called Unveiling the Sixth Station of the Cross, and we'll get into a little bit more on what that means. But as she just said, it's about reparation to the holy face. It sounds like as you talked about why you wrote it, a lot of it was because you were recognizing the relevance, the need of what, what when it was first revealed to your great, great, great aunt what God's intention was mm-hmm. back then, but God's intention is still <laughs> very, it's relevant yeah. to what's going no, on nothing, today. No, no, yeah, no. Craig, what are you going to say? Yeah. No, just two things, you know, nothing's lost in, you know, in God's timing because yeah. it's perpetual, right? Whatever happened centuries ago is relevant today. And I think kind of dissecting the, the sixth station a little bit, you know, Mary Jane, you alluded to it. In the Old Testament, you know, it was you cannot see the face of God. You cannot because it was so holy and it was so revered. And even when you look at Exodus, you look at Moses and the whole bit, how there's a point in time where God says, you cannot look upon my face. Right. And you move forward. Christ came to show us the face of God. Mm -hmm. He was the actual face of God. And what happened? We spit on him. And I say we, anytime we sin, do anything, spit on him, beat him, crown him with thorns, did all these things. Veronica is the one who, during his passion, went up to him with a veil and wiped his face to comfort him, right? And think about the bravery she had to have. Right. People were screaming and hollering at him. You see, you know, the violence we see in the world. I mean, people could have been hitting her, doing all these things. But she was so in love with Christ, she wanted to find a way to comfort him just by wiping off spit and blood and sweat and all these things. And he honored her by leaving his impression on that, on the veil, yeah, on the veil. Mm-hmm. I think it's relevant because in the book, uh, Mary Jane, you also talk about how our church today is the face of Christ in the world, and the same thing is happening to our church. It's being spat upon. It's being uh, blasphemed against, whether internally or externally, right? 
And I think that you talked about the French Revolution. French Revolution was all about enlightenment and we're much smarter than the church and all those mm -hmm. doctrines of baloney and we, we've kind of hit a new level of that mm -hmm. and i think that this is a an amazing tie to talk about that and kind of delve deeper into even the impact of it right there's got to be concrete evidence that this has been relevant and things have happened because of it can you share a little bit more about your great 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 aunt sister marie de saint pierre which is obviously in relevance to St. Peter. Tell us a little bit about her as we're closing up this first half of the show. Sure, just so we won't get confused. I, I have a habit of calling her Sister St. Pierre because that's what her sisters in Carmel called her and it's what my family always called her. But yes, she she grew up in um, the, the first half of the 19th century and she was in Rennes, France and uh, you know, she was blessed with a very holy upbringing. Um, her mother did pass away early on, and so there were uh, there were twelve children. Some didn't live to be very old, but uh, she and her older sister had the care of of those children in her mother's absence. And and it you know it was one of those stories where it was difficult for her to enter Carmel for a number of reasons. And in fact, kind of. <laughs> Uh, the funny one to me is that one of them was her brother, who was my great-great-grandfather. Uh, he had immigrated to America and uh, had needed money to start a business, and that that took the money that the father and his, his sisters, who were the aunts, um, had. And then when Sister St. Pierre wanted to enter Carmel, she didn't have the funds. But Christ assured her that if he could give her a— um, a vocation that he could certainly provide her for the or with the money and and she was provided and so she entered uh, into tour uh, France and uh, you know she had a devotion to Saint Martin of Tours she didn't even know that there was a convent in that city but that's where she wound up and and she had um, you know really a beautiful story of her mystical life and that's one of the things that I try to bring out in the book because. Uh, I do love The Golden Arrow. That's probably the most readily available book on her life. But, uh, you know, it, for the sake of brevity, it, it kind of truncates her spiritual life after she enters Carmel. And uh, I try to recap some of the important parts of her mystical life, you know, while she's in Carmel. And then that gives the full, the full context of the revelations and, and, and her mystical experiences in the end kind of are a whole set of revelations themselves. That's great. So a good place to stop for right now. We're going to take a break and please be with us here in a few minutes here in the family room where we're talking with Mary Jane Zuzalo. We'll be right back in the family room sponsored by Versprite right after this. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. This is Father Michael Silloway from Christ Our King and Savior Catholic Church in Greensboro, Georgia. And the Sushi Pay prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola is one of my favorites. Please join me in praying it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, and that will be enough for me. Amen. 
The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Over 32,000 pregnancies from rape occur in the U.S. each year, and most of the affected women not only choose to have their baby, but also choose to raise the child themselves. They don't consider the child to be the baby of a rapist, but rather their precious child. After everything the rape victim has endured, it's an insult to the mom to label her child the baby of a rapist. Rebecca Berg, who had a child conceived in rape, had this to say. I'm tired of these children being demonized like this. Women are capable of great love for their children and must be given more credit for this. My son's gentle spirit and thoughtfulness of others confirm there is not a rapist gene. When I look in my son's eyes, I only have love. These babies' lives matter. Fight for the lives of babies conceived in rape. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. This is Lisa Popcheck from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hi, I'm John Crisani, and I belong to St. Peter Chanel Catholic Church in Roswell. And you're listening to AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlantic Catholic radio. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Verse Bright on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back into The Family Room, and we are here speaking with Mary Jane Zuzalo, and she is talking to us about her new book, called Unveiling the Sixth Station of the Cross, Reparations to the Holy Face. And it's it's about a devotion that I think most of us had never heard about before, a Holy Face devotion. I think it's very fascinating. So we're going to ask you, Mary Jane, your favorite family room memory, because um, we ask everybody in the family room their favorite family room memory. Um, but then we, wanted, we do want to go back to learning about how this devotion came about. So we'll we'll jump into that in just a couple of minutes. But first of all, we know you've got five kids, so maybe your family memory may be with your kids, but maybe it was when you were growing up. But what what, what is one of your favorite family memories you'd like to share? Uh, well, I think that they are similar. Uh, when I was growing up, we would, on Saturday nights, have kind of a movie time, and it was the one time my dad would make something. <laughs> he he was a very handy person, but not in the kitchen. And he would uh, make popcorn. And I remember we would always have popcorn and tiger red. And then, you know, fast forward to our family with our children. And we, you know, have always tried to do the same thing. We, we do love our movie times uh, on the weekend. And, you know, we'd like to have popcorn and, and some kind of soda. And it just seems like a, a time that we can all uh, get together and, and just have some downtime and, and just 
uh, enjoy one another. That's great. Okay, so I have to ask, what is Tiger Red? Is that a kind of soft drink? Yes, it, it was just like a red, um, red-colored soft drink, and I can't even remember. It must have been cherry-flavored, but <laughs> if, if I had it again, I would know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's great. That's great. Right before um, the break, you were you had told us more about your um, great-great-great-aunt. We might just call her your aunt, like yeah, uh, like Craig says. <laughs> so your aunt, um, even though she was she lived in the 18, early 1800s, um, your aunt, Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, um, was a French Carmelite, and so she is the one who received this devotion and that's just a whole fast that's very fascinating as well so you were explaining to us that she had some mystical experiences but can you share with us what you discovered about how she received this devotion and what does that even mean to receive this uh revelation from jesus sure well it it was very gradual uh and kind of the the first step was that christ asked of her to be totally abandoned to him, I guess, trust in him completely and do everything for him completely. Yet she needed the permission of her superiors to do this because she was a young Carmelite nun and, and you know, they have a definite process for all these things. And so she gradually was given permission to do that. But her her superior uh, was a wise lady and, and really um, was very critical of any you know, messages that she received from Christ and uh, really tested her. And she, she had layers of testing, you know, her her confessor and, and then other people that were above her, so to speak. So the, these messages were, were given gradually, and the full designs of the Holy Face devotion was uh, something that just came out in bits and pieces and kind of culminated with the wounded face of Christ being the the object of adoration, and also the means of uh, attaining this reparation. We, In this devotion, we are not really supposed to offer our own merits and love, but rather those that are sort of encased in the holy face, the wounded face, who had, you know, borne all these injuries for our sake. Her superiors did give her permission to continue to receive these, these messages but uh, it it was not formally approved until uh, the the bishop did at some point approve them, not not right after she died. It, it did take a little while, uh, and there is there's kind of a, a story uh, around the the arch confraternity of the Holy Face being approved by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Uh, he really broke from tradition and. Normally, they would just approve, um, you know, something like this in its place of origin, and then gradually throughout, say, France, you know, other places. But he immediately approved it for the whole world, and hmm. he was the one um, that he did receive that vision of Christ being challenged by Satan, that Satan could destroy his church if he was given more power over uh, those under him, and uh, you know, say approximately a hundred years, that led Pope Leo the Thirteenth to write the Saint Michael Prayer, which mm. you know some of you might be familiar with that. And that was said after every low mass uh, until Vatican II. And uh, anyway, though, he, he had that vision, and within two months, he he approved the first kind of the first step of this 
devotion, the confraternity of the Holy Face, which was a local thing. But then within the year, he approved it for the whole world. And and uh, by, so think, by approving it for the whole world, what you're saying is that any Catholic around the world was encouraged to pray these prayers. Is that what you're saying? That's right. And and this ties in with something that you were mentioning earlier, um, Craig, about, the, you know, the, that this this devotion, because of this approval of an archconfraternity, that's for all peoples and all places and all times. And so mm-hmm. it's never going to be out of date, so to speak. Like, you know, I, I think people tried to tell that to my mother at one point. But um, yes, and, and as we can see, it's in some, I would say, in, in many respects, more relevant today than when it was given, which was kind of right after the French Revolution and in reaction to some of that uh, blasphemous ideology that has now really taken root. Yeah. So because this French Revolution happened in the end of the 1700s, and then your aunt received this in the early 1800s. And one thing you mentioned, too, that was so fascinating for those of us who love like St. Therese of Lisieux, who was also a Carmelite, she entered the convent. I looked it up about 50 years after your aunt passed away. She entered and by then people were praying this and she actually had a devotion to the Holy Face as well. So St. Therese prayed this prayer that you're that you're uh, prayed the devotion that your aunt received as well. That's right. Uh, she and her sisters and her father were one of the really early members of the Arch Confraternity of the Holy Face. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting. There were some books written, say, in the um, you know 1950s and prior that that talked about the influence of the devotion and Sister Saint Pierre upon the thinking and spirituality of Saint Therese, but. For some reason, after the 1950s, it's almost never mentioned. In fact, most people don't even know that St. Therese's full name, you know, was of the child Jesus and the Holy Face. It's always just truncated to of the child Jesus. But she had such a love for Sister St. Pierre that she always wore a relic of Sister St. Pierre near her heart. And she had um, the Holy Face, you know, the wounded Holy Face uh, image pinned to her bed curtain during her long illnesses and always had one in her breviary. And, you know, there's all these kind of uh, material proofs of her affinity for the devotion. But but really, when you look at her poetry and her prayers and a lot of her writings, it's, it's very clear that there's a, a big tie in there. And, you know, I don't know how deep you want to go with that, but I spend quite a bit of time in the book outlining that. And I think that it just obviously helps people to appreciate the Holy Face devotion more if we've got such a beloved saint who was so into it. But I think it also helps people understand St. Therese better because so much of her mystical life was centered on the wounded Holy Face of Christ. In fact, she said, and, and her sisters said of her, that it was, quote, the source of all her piety. Hmm. And so, yeah, it it really runs deep. I think that covers a lot of it because, you know, we don't want to be a spoiler and not have people read the book because <laughs> yeah. they think they're getting the whole thing here. Mm-hmm. But I think, I hate to use the word legitimizes, but when most of us know that saint, and frankly, very few of us may have heard of your great, great, great aunt, um, it legitimizes it for me. Like, okay, this is something really to be looked at. And I think um, at this point, though, we've talked about it, we've talked around it, but we've not really described the Holy Face devotion itself. Um, 
Can you go into the specifics of the Holy Face devotion and why? We've kind of talked about the around the why, but why is this so relevant? Okay. Uh, well, it, you know, it is a it is designed by God to be uh, a spirituality to call men back to proper love and reverence for Him, uh, and it, it is unique because. It is centered on the Godhead itself. Uh, the the Holy Face, the Wounded Holy Face image, in as revealed in the devotion, is you know obviously reflects the redemption uh, that our Lord uh, performed for us in His Passion, His wounds to His face from that. But it also is supposed to uh, represent the, you know, the face of the church, so to speak, or her doctrine. Mm. And and then uh, finally, it is supposed to be sort of an emblem of the the divine trinity or the Godhead. And so when we offer the wounded face of Christ to the Father in reparation— well, let me stop there and just say we, we are offering it for current sins of blasphemy in the revelations that result in the, the uh, renewed injuries to the face of Christ. And uh, so, you know, we, we are offering the love and the merits of Christ that are, are, are sort of, you know, wrapped up in his wounded face to the Father and, you know, the Father moved by this has pity on our faces, so to speak. And, uh, you know, he he wants to renew the image of God in us. And uh, so this is, I guess this is uh, the, the, the main, the main message here is, is very uh, reminiscent of Veronica and offering her veil to Christ. She did that as an act of merciful love, of consolation, and that's what we're supposed to be doing in these acts. They're they're ultimately, even though they are to appease justice, they're they're very much um, you know acts uh, to attain mercy, and and they're just simply from the heart. And so uh, you know, in return for her act of kindness, she was rewarded with the the image of Christ on her veil. And likewise, when we offer Christ these acts of reparation, our recompense is uh, to have the image of Christ placed on our souls. And so, you know, it's, it's like a, a renewing of ourselves. And, and because it is a selfless act, ultimately for the salvation of, of everybody, um, you know, it, it not only helps the world, but it, it does help us individually as well. Hmm. So if you are just joining us, we are talking with Mary Jane Zuzalo, and we're talking about her book, Unveiling the Sixth Station of the Cross, and she's describing for us the Holy Face devotion. So Mary Jane, when you were just describing that, you were talking about as we offer this, as we do this, and I think some folks might not know what that even means. So are you saying it's prayers we pray, it's times where we're sitting reflecting on what Jesus's face looked like during the time of the Passion when it was wounded? What do you mean by that? What, like if you can paint a picture for people, what are we doing? What are, what are we, what do we do with this devotion? Okay. Yes. That, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the devotion kind of has different layers, and um, 
the the most important uh, it, that people should consistently do always is to say the prayers of the devotion, which, you know, you, there, there are many listed in uh, the manual of the Arch Confraternity of the Holy Face, but most people um, might uh, be familiar with the Golden Arrow Prayer, and maybe maybe later I can pray that mm-hmm. uh, for you. Uh, but that uh, was a prayer given directly from Christ to Sister St. Pierre. And as she received that uh, that understanding, that, that prayer, uh, she was given the vision of torrents of graces being released for the conversion of the masses. So, you know, like many people, in other words. And mm. um, so th- this is just a, a one simple thing that if we pray this prayer with devotion, we are told that we are drawing down graces for for lots and lots of people. And uh, there's other prayers that are very popular. One is uh, the Holy Face Chaplet, and that is uh, designed to protect Holy Mother Church and defeat her enemies. Uh and so, you know, we can say these kinds of prayers, and they are very effective. And I think if you go just a little bit deeper, you, you know, can kind of mentally offer up um, the, the Holy Face, the wounded Holy Face, as an aspect of Christ's humanity to God. Um, so it, it's kind of like we're offering God to God, not unlike in the consecration, you know, it kind of mirrors that a little bit. Um, you know, there Christ makes himself available as a perfect offering uh, in Mass uh, to the Father. And so that that's kind of a little bit what we're doing, only we're the ones, uh, not, the, not the priest, not Christ uh, as represented in the priest, but we're the ones offering this. And, you know, I won't get into this, um, because <laughs> I could go on too long, but in the book of Job, you know, he he is asked to offer his face uh, in place of his friends because God is more pleased with Job than he is with his friends, and so he offers reparation for them using his face. So we're we're like Job that we're offering reparation for our friends, but we're we're um, we're sort of like the friends too because we're not offering our own face. We're relying on the face of Christ. And so this is something that we can do at kind of a deeper level and, you know, to just kind of mentally console Christ um, to metaphorically, you know, offer a a loving kiss to Christ, anything that we can do uh, in consolation to him. And then, you know, we didn't go very deep with the St. Therese and Sister St. Pierre complementary spirituality, but they both really became victims of Christ in in the respective manner. You know, Sister St. Pierre was a victim of justice, Sister St. Pierre of mercy, but they ultimately were the same. And I guess by that, I just mean like in the spirit of, um, of St. Paul, you know, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And, uh, and you know, Sister St. Pierre had that she had a habit of, uh, after communion, sort of, quote, annihilating her heart into the sacred heart, thereby destroying all but that which was of Christ. And and then, you know, I mentioned that uh, St. Therese uh, referred to the Holy Face as the, the source of all her piety. And I, I think 
in a sense, she didn't just mean that it was like a tool toward mystical objectives, but that she was relying on it as as her piety. Like she she was using the merits and love of Christ, and that's you know again what we're called to do in the Holy Face devotion. Hmm. Well, and what I like about what you said in your book about the devotion too is by praying it, the image of Christ gets imprinted on our hearts. Right, and if Christ gets imprinted our in our hearts, then we become more like Christ, and then you hope in the world, people see the face of Christ through us, right, and and what we're doing. So that that makes it really practical. And I think one thing I wanted to ask you about too, because I think your book mentions it. Um, there's actually been some miracles and some um, wonders, I think, that have worked around. This image, especially with the venerable Leo DuPont, who I know helped your great-great-aunt get the devotion out financially, things like that. Do you have the ability to share a few of the wonders and maybe miracles that happened around this devotion? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll try to make it brief, but uh, just about, I think, six months after Sister St. Pierre passed away, she passed away in 48, so this was in 49, uh the the uh second french revolution had taken place and you know that that sort of affected all of all of europe and and the vatican and the pope had to flee for safety to gaeta and uh he had asked that the veil of veronica be exposed for veneration and prayers of the faithful to kind of help them through this time and so it was uh it was the third day of the exposition, and people suddenly realized that this this uh, image that, you know, it's very old and faded, and the, the features are not really distinguishable just as it is naturally, but uh, the, the image became mira- uh, kind of miraculously enlivened and uh, very distinct. And so, you know, the, the notary made, you know, official notation of it, and the, the church or the um the vatican canons uh he rang the bells and people came in and you know they they noticed this and some people drew what they saw and then later uh you know these were made into engravings and uh these images were touched to the original veil and to the lance of longinus and to the um uh, a true relic of the cross and they they were mostly given to convents and, and places like that, but Venerable DuPont was given one by the convent at Tour, and he had it in his um, in his parlor room, and he always kept a an oil lamp burning in front of it. Uh, and the, I think the first one, uh, the first miracle involved uh, someone who just happened to come to his house, and uh, she complained of an eye ailment, and and he just sort of spontaneously suggested, well, you know, let's say some prayers, uh, which were consistent with the devotion, although the devotion had not been approved at this time. And and then she she anointed her eyes with this oil, and she was immediately cured. And then, uh, you know, there was a, another instance, and then word started getting around. And, and then soon, just day after day, uh, you know, there would be hundreds of people coming, and uh, there are 6,000 documented uh, miraculous healings. And then wow. there were many more besides, like uh, I, I think estimates of around 10,000, um, not including all the 
the vials of the oil that he mailed out. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the world just knew him as the holy man of tours, and they could just write that on an envelope and put France, and it would get to him. Oh and gosh. And then, wow. uh, you know, kind of as a testament that because, you know, I myself, I was like, what? I, I didn't know this. And and most people don't know about these miracles. But um, uh, Pope Blessed Pius IX referred to Venerable DuPont as perhaps the greatest miracle worker in ch- church history. And, of course, he is now venerable. And so it's uh, it's an amazing thing. And, and so that. That is one of the promises of the devotion, and, you know, that's another kind of indicator of the, I guess you could call it preeminent status of the devotion, is that uh, the promises are just, you know, off the charts. They are closer to the Divine Mercy devotion than any other two comparisons, but they still have, for example, this, um, you know, just kind of broad brush working of marvels is promised, and so, um, yeah, that that's... That's kind of a recap. That's a great recap. That is Thank great. you. You know, basically in summary, we've only got a minute or two left, but to me, the biggest, um, the one of the be- most beautiful pieces of this is God wants to give us graces. God wants to bless us. He wants to be in our lives. And so he comes to this young nun in this convent in the middle of France, and he says, Jesus shows up, and they say, pray this prayer and, and, and reflect on this image and do this and, you know, continue to pour yourself out or pour me back out, you know, gives very specific ways to do that. But when we obey God, he wants to bless us and then bless so many more people through us too. And and that's what happened with your, with your great aunt is that she was, she was a bless, she was a, a vehicle for the yeah. blessings that happened to so many other people. So you promised us that you could pray in closing the golden arrow prayer for us. Would you be able to do that for us, Mary Jane? Sure. And, and I like what you said. It is a very hopeful devotion. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It gives us a, it tells us of dangers, but it gives us a way out too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most incomprehensible and ineffable name of God be always praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in hell by all creatures of God and by the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. 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 In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary Jane, thank you so much for joining us here in the family room. We've appreciated having you and learning more about this. And listeners, go to our show notes and learn more about this book and um, the life of Sister Marie Saint-Jean-Pierre. Thank you both very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And join us again next week here in the Family Room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.